This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. I am joined, per usual, by Chris Nee and Josh Newberg. I want to set set the scene here. I told Joshua on Thursday that I was going to the beach on Friday and Saturday. I was not taking my computer with me. I was unplugging. There was not going to be anything to write about over the weekend. And Josh predicted there would be some sort of firestorm that would force me to be my computer. I also told you to make sure that you brought your computer. I said, that sounds like a dumb idea. Pack your computer and leave it in the car. Sure enough, on Saturday, on Saturday morning, uh, I guess afternoon or late morning, early afternoon, I was looking at my computer for something. I'd taken it out. I told my wife, though, hey, I'm not doing work work right now. I'm just looking up some stuff on the computer. She said, okay. Five minutes later, I got an email. Christopher, you also received that email. You want to tell the, tell the listeners of On the Bench what the email said? Yeah, the email from FSU said that Mike Norvell had tested positive for coronavirus in their most recent round of testing, which was on Friday. We got that email on Saturday. It also went on to tell us that Chris Thompson would assume head coaching duties in the sense of on-field in-person as Mike Norvell got to enjoy a protocol 10-day quarantine period where he has to be in his lonesome in his office at home. Josh, should we keep the first take Chris had on that or the better one that sounded uh-huh. good? Just give him the better one. It's Monday, man. Okay. It's Monday. <laughs> All right. I'll edit, edit Chris's first take. Josh, what was your reaction when you first heard that news through the group text message? Mm, it, it seems that we were all in an uncomfortable position when this news arrived. Um, fellas, I happened to be, you know, because it was a bye week, I was getting together with with another podcast that I do, the Big Three Roll, and I happened to be in the same room as Silk and Kev when you guys are telling me in the group chat what's going on. So you were in the same room as them? In the same room. Jeez. So I decide, like, I'm looking at my group chat and I grab my computer. And Chris, I'm we're being, like, Chris, we're being cuckolded and Josh <laughs> isn't, he's not even trying to hide it. He's just <laughs> flaunting it in front of us. What? Do you know what cuckolding means? Uh, no, but I don't it's- think I want to. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm not going to tell them because I don't need this pressure on me. Like, I'm going to go about my business and start getting this stuff socialed. And it was only a matter of time until they found out. And uh, the jokes were flying. It was all good and fun. It's really unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. It's been quite the start for Mike Norvell. It's not all well and fun because at first they said he was asymptomatic. He got tested again, it sounds like. It, it seemed like today, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but he didn't come out and say it was a second positive test, but I did think he said that the test was initial result was confirmed, so we can deduce from that positive. Yeah, that, it's, he sounds like he, he – okay, that is correct. He did sound on the Zoom today. He met with reporters. That's what we're going to talk about here as we get into the episode. There's a ton to go over. Uh, but he, he did sound a little worn down and kind of sniffly. Or is that my imagination? I'm, I'm being Dr. Today, Snow right now. Did. I did. I had to go back I and listen to it. I thought he sounded great today. I thought he sounded kind of worn out last Monday. 
He sounds like a coach six weeks into okay. this thing where it's All just right. been it's been hell one day after another. I mean, I, I didn't want to draw any grand conclusions from it. Um, the good news, his wife, his young daughter, they're mm-hmm. they're fine according to testing that FSU has done for them since he tested positive. So that's a that is a positive out of this that you know, there's no issues beyond him. He's obviously disappointed. He's basically locked in his office watching video of practices, helping to prepare the game in a virtual sense. And he can't hug his daughter, can't hug his wife. So he's yeah. disappointed about that. And he said today, flat out, he's emotional about the fact he missed Saturday's practice. It's the first practice he can recall in his coaching career that he was not present for. So it's weird. It's so 2020. It's amazing. It's just been a year from hell. And for a first year coach, it feels like year zero because just nothing can get on tracks. Right. It almost feels like year negative one. Like if you think about every single obstacle, it was going to be year zero, no matter what. Right. But now that we're, we're looking at three days of mm. spring practice, Marvin Wilson debacle. Right. Uh, what else? Warren Thompson, obviously. Just, the, try to, just try to put everything in context, right? Like I, I was thinking about this this morning. If, if a year ago, somebody told Mike Norvell that he'd be the head coach of a power five school, he'd be a stack, not just a power five school. You're going to be at Florida state, a, a program that's won a national championship within the last decade. You'd be over the moon. You probably couldn't believe what your life, what's happening to your career and your life path and all that. Just to arrive there, have the world flipped upside down with this pandemic. Uh, he, no spring, no summer. He's dodged, what, two player revolts. Um, they come out and they lose the first game. He gets COVID. Not only does he get COVID, but now he can't coach in the Miami game. And game day is going to be there national spotlight and everything. it seems like one of brendan sinone's bad dreams <laughs> i had a dream that i was flossing last night and i couldn't oh, get anything <laughs> out it just kept flossing and flossing yeah, and mike norvell's having worse dreams than that let me let me tell you and and think about it like every coach that comes to florida state lives to coach in these rivalry games willie taggart in his entire tenure at florida state only got to coach in four rivalry games the last one got him fired. Mike Norvell is missing his very first one. Like my heart, seriously, like my heart breaks for this guy. Like I really feel bad and empathize. Like he just wants to be there. It, yeah. It's crazy. I can't believe all this is happening. So to roll the ball a little bit forward, what we learned today and talking, we spoke today with head coach, Mike Norvell, deputy head coach, currently interim head coach, as far as in-person head coaching, Chris Thompson and defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller. The fuller portion was more Miami-oriented and a little bit about the virtual sense of everything. The other two were the more important conversations for what we're talking about. Norvell's doing as much as humanly possible in a uh, virtual sense. Austin, who's the director of video scouting for FSU, has done a good job of rigging things up where he's able to watch practice, he's able to communicate in practice, all from the presence of his office. So he is still present in that sense, and Chris Thompson said uh, – his voice is still definitely very much heard on the practice field. He's still very present there. Where he won't be present is Saturday when they hit the field. He will not travel with the team. Once the team really leaves the hotel and heads to Hard Rock Stadium to play the Miami Hurricanes, top 12, top 14 Miami Hurricanes, he basically has to depart from his involvement with the team because it's just not a process they can continue in any sense currently. So in that sense, Chris Thompson will go from boot to field Tony Tokars, who was a tight end coach for them at Memphis. He's an offensive, I believe, quality control coach at FSU is his technical title. But Tony's one of the most uh, 
experienced guys who is currently not a primary coaching role on the staff. He's a guy who easily could be in a coaching role on the staff, but he decided to essentially demote himself to stay alongside Mike Norvell and work with the staff. And he's thought of very highly by this staff. He will take over a bit of Thompson's role in the box. He's been up there. He's comfortable with being up there. He also is very comfortable with Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, who will obviously take on more of the play calling duties. So Norvell's involvement will be fairly normal in a virtual sense from now until about kickoff. But once kickoff comes around, it's obviously going to be very different. And one more thing I'll add on, on Tony Tozark. Uh, Chris mentioned he's obviously very well thought of. He seems to me like someone who is almost like a replacement and waiting kind of coach. If someone else on this offensive staff moves on, gets a job somewhere else, I think they're grooming Tony to be a position coach at FSU one day. If he doesn't get a job offer somewhere else because he has thought of that that highly. So that was a name that Chris and I kind of threw out around this morning, kind of wondering what FSU was going to do uh, as the trickle-down effect from Mike Norvell not being there. Uh, kind of occurred. Tony was the first name that that I'd mentioned to Chris, and uh, not surprised to hear that that he's someone who's going to be used somewhat on game days. Do you have anything else on this specific situation before we move on to the next topics? There's a lot to go through. No, I mean I, I think that things are going to truthfully it, the way Chris Thompson spoke about it, and the way Mike Norbell spoke about it. I don't think a whole lot has changed in what's going on day to day. It does sound like. Thompson said that the players did a good job of kind of increasing the energy in practice because obviously Norvell brings some juice to the practice field and Thompson's not that guy. Very different voices, very similar thought process and philosophy, but different way of going about doing their business on the field. Um, So that is one area where Norvell's presence will obviously be missed, but I think he's still going to have his fingerprints all over the planning for Miami. Game day operations will obviously be a little bit different, but I think the consistent word today was essentially trust in the staff that they have assembled coordinators and what they can do and how it will operate. So I don't think it's as big of a deal as it may seem that your head coach is absent. Chris, remember when you told everyone that they need to crack a bottle open if we lost to Georgia Tech? I sure do. Well, we've got some good news about that. Sinone worked his magic and pretty much got his dream sponsor for on the bench for the remainder of the year. Tell them more, Brendan. Oh, yeah, Josh. Not only am I ecstatic, you could even say I'm uh, no ecstatic. <laughs> Ecstatic's a good word. I'm really, really happy to announce this sponsor for the rest of the year here on On the Bench. That is... If you're in Tallahassee, you know this as a staple. It is Market Square Liquors and the Lounge at Market Square. Uh, Market Square Liquors has been around since 1984. It's located in Market Square off of Timberlane Road, up by Thomasville Road and uh, and I-10. Their store side of the business is incredible. It features an amazing inventory. They have a wall of beer that is expansive and deep. The wine selection is robust. Their spirit selection, you guys know that I enjoy a, uh, enjoy a bourbon from time to time. It's expansive and, uh, and vast. The clerks there are super knowledgeable. They have their own wine blend, the week unusual that's been received really well. And their store picks for bourbon, uh, in which they go out and find unique single barrel selections of your favorite bourbons, uh, bourbon brands, to basically enhance the quality and, and more importantly, the uniqueness. They're incredible as well, and I'll share more on those in future episodes. And don't forget about the lounge next door. They are back and open for business. I think they opened just last week, and uh, apparently by Friday, word was out that the lounge was, was open and, and business was booming. I've been to many a bourbon bar around the country. And I have to say, this is the best one I've ever been to. It's not just the best in Tallahassee. It's the best I've ever been to. They have legitimately high-end, really rare bourbons that you can 
try there. And if you want to say, try something before you go hunting for it, this is the place to do it. You can get Pappy, you can get George T. Stag. They have all sorts of, of really tough to find bourbon at reasonable prices. The Lounge and Market Square Liquors store uh, together, it's just a great one-two punch. I'm really happy to have them as a sponsor for On The Bench. And don't forget, you can also get really good beer there. I'm the kind of guy that doesn't like your normal McUltra. You know, I'm not a simple beer man, but I can find some of the stuff that's a little harder to find anywhere else there. And that that's a nice thing for me. I still enjoy a good beer here and there. There you go. And we are really happy to have Market Square Liquor as our sponsor for On the Bench all season. Uh, if you guys are in town, let us know. Let them know. We'll send you the address if you need help. Um, but please check them out when you guys are in Tallahassee. And make sure you tell them we sent you. All right. Moving on because we have so much to get to. Uh, injury updates really quickly. So good news here. I think this is taken as a positive. FSU released its depth chart on Monday. The only addition, the only change at all on offense and defense was that of Hampson Nasruddin listed as a co-starter along with Jaden Lars Woodby at the Buck safety position. Obviously, Hamsa, who's you know a preseason all-ACC type of guy, early round draft pick potential because he's so versatile, impactful on defense. He missed last week's game or two weeks ago, I guess, at this point against Georgia Tech. I know they've been optimistic about him coming back, maybe sooner than we had initially expected. Some rumors that it could be for this Miami game. It's a really good first step that he is uh, that he's on the depth chart, although Chris will add depth to this in a minute. It's not a guarantee, but that's a good first step. Also, Joshua Kando at defensive end, Devontae Love-Taylor, the right tackle. They left last Saturday's game against Georgia Tech. They are both on the depth chart as well. It's good that we're not looking like at a season-ending injury type deal for those guys. Yeah, and on Hamza, both Coach Mike Norvell and defensive coordinator Adam Fuller were asked about him today. Neither wanted to be firm on he's definitely back. Essentially just saying he's continuing to go through it. We're going to keep evaluating, see where he is as this week progresses. But he is he is back out there. He is working with him. Both coaches spoke about the versatility that he brings to the defense, also the veteran leadership that he brings. I believe Adam Fuller used the term plus tackler, which obviously you always wanted that safety position as they're the last line of defense. It definitely read as though they expect Nas to make a return very soon as potentially early as this week. And they were a little more just kind of indirect with Love Taylor and Kando. But as Sano mentioned, the good news with both of those guys is that for neither of them, you know, the knee we believe with Kando and the groin we believe with Love Taylor isn't going to be something that's going to sideline them hopefully long-term. And one other kind of related subject or matter on this subject is if Hampson Nazarene, if he's back this week against Miami, I think look for his versatility to not only be emphasized, but but maybe more importantly, his versatility to allow other players to be versatile as well. I think you can maybe see someone like a Jaden Lars Woodby who played Buck uh, last week and, and looked a little rusty in that role to maybe move around and play like the big nickel and the slot sum to help with Kalen Deloach. And that star role, or sorry, the stud role, and if that happens, for Amari Gaynor to move around as well, maybe get him at defensive end. So if Hamsa is this huge chess piece who can do a lot of different things, he allows others to do things as well on defense. So, so maybe keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and there was a little bit of a clue of that in what Adam Fuller said. We've been hearing that that's a possibility, but Adam Fuller today said when asked about the benefits of the off week, what they worked on, Guys invested a lot of time and we were able to get some movement around in some different positions and feel comfortable that our guys had a very effective week during the bye week. Yeah, it's not super direct. It's not really informative, but he did use the word. And I definitely took it to mean that they're testing a few things out. I think 
it's clear as day that they want to generate a better pass rush than they saw in game one. I think they believe that moving some guys around may be a necessity to bring that about. And that'll obviously be big for Miami's offense, which seems to be rolling two games in under De'Ara Keene. They got it down on the ground and the opener against a good UAB defense at the group of five level, granted, and then a not-so-good Louisville defense this past week. De'Ara Keene threw all over them. Now, a lot of that was Louisville's defense just not being very, very sound in, in its coverage. But De'Ara Keene certainly seemed more comfortable during uh, – you know, during the passing aspects of the game, throwing on the run and whatnot. We can get into that in a few minutes. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on uh, on any of the Miami preview stuff because we'll be doing that next week. Uh, what I do want to get to real quick, or sorry, you later, later, week, this, later week. this week. I, I don't go delaying the game on I, me, Simone. You know what? You know what, Josh? I'm playing Chris's first uh, first clip from today, not the second yeah. one. You know what I'm looking forward to is when Sinone, somewhere around like Orlando, driving to the Miami game, it gets postponed, and he has to bang a Yui on the turnpike. Uh, it'll be like that time he was going to a quarterback announcement for a kid that went to Texas A&M. And who's entered the transfer portal twice since uh, since going to Texas A&M. But I wish I could have – I was about to enter the transfer portal from Knowles 24-7 uh, midway through that trip. <laughs> Speaking of transfer portal, God, what a transition. What a transition. FSU had three guys enter the transfer portal last week. I don't think we spoke about any of it because we we had a fairly weird bi-week podcast schedule. But DJ Matthews enters the transfer portal and is now off the roster. Isaiah Bolden, wide receiver, defensive back turned wide receiver. I think that would be part of the, the reason why he transfers. He enters the portal. He's now off the roster. And defensive lineman Jamarcus Chapman, who uh, – who opted out of this season uh, earlier on, I think in August, he enters the transfer portal. And now he is off the roster as well. From the outside looking in, people are like, what's going on over there internally? I'm being told like this, look for more of a youth movement. Josh, how do you absorb these three departures? I didn't take it as a huge deal, but but maybe provide some context for the, for the listeners, please. I mean, I don't, look, ideally they would be producing for Florida State, but they're not. And this has been, a bunch, a couple of these guys, Isaiah Bolden, Jamarcus Chapman, DJ Matthews. These, these aren't players that had just arrived, got homesick and left. Uh, you know, they were guys that were, that were kind of buried on the depth chart. Not so much DJ. A lot of DJ stuff was kind of self-inflicted. Uh, uh, you know, even dating back to when Jimbo was here, I can remember shooting text to Lawrence Dossie during the off season to check to see if DJ Matthews was still on the roster. I mean, when, when Dossie was here, that seems like ages ago. Oh, we did talk um, about this. We talked about DJ specifically on the podcast. Cause I remember that exact anecdote from Josh, but we yeah, didn't talk about Bolden and, and but Bolden. I mean, the writing's on the wall. Look, when, when you see a position change, I know fans like to get excited because it offers new possibilities and things, but generally speaking, when a player makes a position change, the writing's kind of on the wall. Like it didn't work out where they signed, especially uh, in a situation like this where Isaiah Bolden came in under a different staff. He was a take for Willie Taggart and that staff and and, and just somebody that uh, has been on the roster and hasn't made an impact at defensive back. They try to get him in the mix with putting him on the, on the two deep return, um, but just not really making an impact with Florida State. Neither was Jamarcus Chapman. Um, I don't know if he has the body type to, to really – make a impact at Florida state. He might be leaving so he can play somewhere else. I mean, this is a, this is a team that's struggling. This is a bad football team. And these are players that weren't playing on a bad football team. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is in Bolden's case, from what I understand, he would prefer to be a DB, 
but he also understood he was fine with the movement to offense, but he also quickly grasped he's not going to play on offense this year in games unless a lot goes wrong. So it's kind of a matter of sitting a year. He didn't really want to do that to play a position. He would prefer to play the other one. So greener pastures elsewhere for him. I, I don't think that was any big statement on the staff or anything of that. sort. I think that's more kid that understands where he stands with this group with Chapman. He, he's been back and forth with positions and not developed very well. And, you know, he opted out. He was going to fall behind. It's no big loss. Hopefully he does well at his next stop. And with DJ Matthews, that was clearly one where two people had very different opinions of one another and they needed to go their separate ways. So here we are. Do I think more are coming? Yeah, I do. I, I'd, I'd be shocked truthfully if nobody else enters the portal during the season, there's just too many veterans on this team who don't play a significant role are going to look to go elsewhere just because they want to play and then there's some guys who are here who aren't guys norvell recruited aren't guys that are contributing that aren't going to love the circumstances and are going to decide to depart i think that's just natural order and truthfully i think it's good for fsu if the roster keeps turning over to some degree immediately i don't think long term it's positive for there to be a revolving door but i think early on in the transition of this program under a new head coach I don't think it's the worst thing for the I, program. I would say I think it ha- it's an essential part of rehabbing this football program right now, culturally, Chris, because you look at what it was at the end of the Jimbo Fisher tenure, and we look at the many missteps of Willie Taggart. One of the biggest miscues I think he made was, was not just moving on from some, some problem players, guys who weren't good for a long-term sustainable culture, but consistently giving them important roles and not moving them out of those important roles. This has been the opposite where Mike Norvell has like the fact that these guys enter the transfer portal, I'm not saying you move away from someone right away just because they're you want to give them the ability to think about their future. But when someone enters a transfer portal, you do have the ability as a coach to no longer honor the scholarship. That is part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Player can re-opt in if the school wants them back. But those guys were off the roster in a quickness. I think that shows two things. One, Mike Norvell understands that there needs to be a overhaul on this roster and then two he wants guys who want to be here if you don't want to be part of this process then that's fine we'll move forward he's he's fine moving on quickly which I think is an absolute must right now all right Chris uh let's see the last thing here I started to get ahead of myself when talking about Derek Keene in Miami Uh, I do want to get your thoughts real quick on you sat down and watched a lot of football this weekend uh, what were your takeaways from some of the things going on related to uh, to FSU schedule past and prior? Well, it was a two television kind of weekend in the household. Um, once things calmed down from the Mike Norvell news, I was able to settle in and watch those noon games. The games I really wanted to watch on the day, though, were UCF versus Georgia Tech, because obviously FSU played Georgia Tech last weekend. Who wouldn't want to see Sinone's boys play those lovely Golden Knights? And then, they're not the Golden the, Knights anymore. Just and nice. then the obviously lovely evening nightcap of Miami at Louisville. My biggest takeaway is Jeff Sims looked like the human being he is as a true freshman quarterback. Fifty percent pass for multiple interceptions. They had several turnovers, including fumbles on the ground. He made some great plays, but he looked much more human than FSU made him look. But Georgia Tech still is an improved team. I. You know, having watched a lot of ACC football now in two weeks, I don't think Georgia Tech is close to the worst team in the league. I still think they're in the bottom rung of the league, but I think Syracuse is a hell of a lot worse than them, or at least has looked that way through two games. Um, so I, Jameer Gibbs is going to be yeah, a bad, bad man. Gibbs is the most talented dude on that roster. We knew that before game one. FSU's lucky they didn't have to face him. 
But yeah, he's a talented dude. They definitely have a nice little foundation of some of the stuff they're going to try to mm-hmm. do in the future there. But they still have growing pains to take. Uh, Miami Louisville. I thought Louisville's defense was fairly putrid. Um, to be perfectly honest, Miami's offense is rolling. They're confident as hell right now. They're playing really good ball. Derek King has completely changed that dynamic and they're running the hell out of the ball and they're doing it at a high level and their O-line looks head and shoulders better than it did a year ago. And a lot of that is because of their effective running the ball, which obviously kind of loosens the reins for the passing attack to be effective. Defensively, they're not as much of a killer attack dog as they've been in recent years. They don't have that guy like Rousseau. You know, Quincy Roche is pretty damn good in his own right. Their safety play is pretty good with Carter and Bolden. I thought both of them were really good. Uh, you know, I think Miami's a really good football team. I think they're going to give FSU a heck of a fit. Um, but I also thought Louisville's defense just was unimpressive. I mean, Miami's ability for a quick strike was impressive, but some of that was also really crappy tackling, bad positioning, a lot of bad things done by Louisville. I'm not trying to take away from what Miami did. They went there. They dominated. They did exactly what they're supposed to do. I just don't think Louisville defensively is all that good. Yeah, But I thought Miami did a very good job in all phases of the game. Special teams were excellent. The 57-yard field goal was really impressive. Offense is rolling, as I mentioned, through two games. And the defense is a good collective whole unit. They gave up a lot of yards, but they also made plays when they needed to make plays. The big thing to me was compared to two weeks ago, two games ago, when Derek King was not very sharp passing the ball, he was he made it like three or four electric passes against Louisville and that's not including like the wide open ones that Louisville's defense just fell apart that one yeah, play Chris when he when he rolled left and threw it right on the money to the sideline I was like okay that's that's a big boy throw yeah Brevin Jordan's a badass oh um, yeah yeah he's really yeah, good too a lot of people want to talk about Kyle Pitts in the state of Florida I think Brevin Jordan's right there if not better truthfully um, and Will Mallory gives him an excellent two-man attack at the tight end position I know he's only had one catch for a 17-yard touchdown I believe it was through two games, but Will Mallory can make some plays and they can give you some real fits when they go to tight end sets. And they obviously can run very effectively out of that too. And, you know, Cameron Harris is running the heck out of it right now. And then Jalen Knighton, 75 yard reception in that game, also some big runs, you know, FSU fans know what Jalen Knighton was about. And then Don Chaney's a damn good back in his own right. So they got a lot there that O-line, you know, I don't know if the O-line is truly much better, but that offense is playing much better, which makes the O-line certainly look much better. I mean, they graded out very well in that Louisville game for a reason. You can hide them better with tempo as well, which yes. when you have the – that's was the whole Kendall Browles effect last year with FSU's offensive line and that philosophy, why you went fast. So, yeah. uh, real quick uh, – go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say my biggest non-ACC takeaway was Oklahoma State looked putrid. They should have yeah. lost that game. They are lucky they won that game. App State-West Virginia was actually probably the most entertaining game I watched of the day. Was it App State-West Virginia um, or App State-Marshall? You're Marshall, I'm sorry, right? App State-Marshall. Yeah, I'm just falling in love with the state of West Virginia. Um, okay, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I always enjoy those days where I can sit down and truly watch a lot of football. Disappointingly, the slate wasn't that good. But Hey, what was the deal with Bailey Hockman? I just saw Twitter going crazy about him. Was he that good? I uh, yeah, pretty good day. Yeah, uh, Rick, you know who had a great day for NC State was Ricky Person, the running back who I believe got injured against FSU last year. He's dealt with a lot of injuries in his time at NC State. He ran for I believe three touchdowns and like a buck eighty. He had a hell of a day. Um, he was really good. Hawkman was good though. He did some things with his legs, did some things with his arms. I believe he didn't find out he was starting till, you know, just prior to kickoff. Um, they have had kind of a two-man battle there, but he played well. He looked good. But FSU fans are just watching all these quarterbacks that used to be committed here or were here, and 
they get in their feelings a bit about it because obviously our quarterback play leaves a lot to be desired these days. It'll hurt your feelings a little bit. All right, so we'll talk a little bit more about Miami later this week. Is that correct, Chris? Later this week, we'll we'll do a little bit more. This Miami week, preview. good job, good job. Thank you. Don't Thank be a you. doomsday sayer. But for now, we'll uh, we'll be right back after this commercial break. We have a actually a ton of recruiting stuff to get to, so we'll be back in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to On the Bench. We have the recruiting ex- graphic. I can't still can't say it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Josh, do you want to talk to the people about recruiting? I was going to talk about Rod Orr and the crystal ball I dropped for him, but uh, I think they care about Chris's crystal ball for four-star offense tackle Rod Orr a little bit more than they care about mine. Why would they care about Chris's well, you're when saying mine you, went in first? Uh, that, I knew that's where he was going with this. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Defend your crystal ball, you copycat. Wait, we're actually recording right now. <laughs> it's been such a car crash for the last few minutes. I didn't know where the, they didn't get the car crash. Uh, okay. Oh. The magic of editing, Chris. The magic of editing. The blooper clip uh, show just got like five minutes extra content in one episode. It's pretty impressive. So I put in a crystal ball for Rod Orr because I'm nothing more than a follower. I saw my boy Josh Newberg put in one, and then I saw Brendan Sinone put in one. And I'm like, hey, I can't be late to the party, but I'm already late to the party. Um, now, nah, seriously. I put it in because it finally sounds like we have a commitment date in mind for him. And the biggest thing with him is he he wanted to do it in August when August first started. Then he kind of pushed it back. Then it became, oh, maybe by the end of my season. Then he kind of moved up. Now he's a little more settled and probably doing it here in the next week or two. So I went ahead and did it because at this point, we do expect FSU to get good news there. Um, we believe he and his father have communicated with the staff at FSU, giving them the idea that they're in a good spot has not committed to him i want to be clear of that but that you know fsu is sitting fairly pretty with him the main issue there and it's so 2020 is that he's not been able to visit so that's been kind of the hold up there but he hasn't seen most of the contenders tennessee is a main contender there because he has seen them go ahead josh yeah on what day was it september 9th i put in my crystal ball pick for florida state and basically but but who's counting he's, he's spiking that football did you just hear that go ahead josh sorry no, the, these receipts are kept for a reason, Chris. Um, and the thing is with him, um, I think the reason was, was because of Alex Atkins' relationship with Rod Orr and his father, like Chris alluded to. Uh, the six foot seven, 296 pound big man does have a, a slew of offers, including Tennessee, Ole Miss, Oregon, Missouri, Indiana, Kentucky, TCU, the list goes on. Um, yeah, I, I think the visit, the, the no visit policy has impacted his recruitment significantly. And with the fact that there's no visits on the horizon, it's just time to time to commit. Um, I think there's six total crystal ball picks in for, for Rod or now. 
all in favor of FSU. And we are just currently waiting for a commitment. I, I'll say this. I think between now and commitment date, Tennessee is probably the biggest team to watch. Mm-hmm. I was about to snarkily throw in there, watch out for Tennessee just to scare the audience, but I didn't want to do that to them. But Josh added yeah. a little additional context to it. All right. So another guy, another big time prospect, actually, not, not just a guy, but a, but a four-star prospect really high on FSU's board. That's defensive lineman Chambre Jackson from Orlando Boone High School. Mm. This is someone else who uh, Josh Newberg was early to drop a crystal ball in. And, and guess what? Once again, a trendsetter because Andrew Ivins uh, got a chance to catch up with Chambre Jackson and he dropped a crystal ball to the good guys as well. Josh, like you're, you're, feel, you're feeling good about the, the, Chambre, uh, the Chambre prediction at this point? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I felt like he was a guy. Now, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and I mean it. I don't. I don't know of a silent commitment, like anything like that, but I just think that he's a guy that FSU locked in on early um, due to the shutdown and, and lack of visits. Chambray visited FSU prior to it. Hasn't taken any other trips. Um, FSU sits in a good spot. Auburn and Alabama are, are kind of the main competition. Um, but Andrew Ivins went to the game on Friday night, talked to Chambray Jackson afterward. I'm sure for the next 48 hours, he he sat on that information and really, really let it sink in. And then on Sunday, he put a crystal ball in. So I, I'm, I'm feeling good just following the great Andrew Ivins. Yeah, I'm, I'm still holding back on my crystal ball for no real reason, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> Late just, to the party uh, again. I just me. feel like doing so. Um, Alabama's the main other contender there, but truthfully, they have a lot of guys at that position on the board. They like him as a big D end. FSU likes him as a D end who may develop into a D tackle. Um, FSU has been in that pace car for a long time. And we think Jackson's going to commit potentially by the end of this month. And both conversations I and Andrew have had with him here recently, he's alluded to it being in the next couple of weeks. Um, FSU is just in a good spot. He's a big boy, you know, the measurements, they range. It's kind of a tough thing to walk in on. He tells us one thing. We list him as another. I don't like getting in that conversation. Here's what I know. He's a large dude. He's going to get larger in the college game, and he moves pretty damn well. If you watch the Thursday night highlights of his game against Boone's game against Dr. Phillips, there's a block punt. He catches it. He takes off, scores a touchdown. That's a big dude trucking on down the field. He's in real good shape. He's worked really hard. He'd be a great get for FSU, and he would definitely satisfy some of their major needs up front on the defensive line. I've felt for, I don't know, heck, truthfully, kind of since the unofficial visit to FSU that he took – I don't know if that was February or early March that FSU kind of sat in the best position for him. I've never really moved away from that position. I just haven't rushed a crystal ball. I always worry about Alabama with kids. I know they like, but they're not quite ready to take that. Suddenly when they get ready to take them, it just happens really quick and I get ambushed on a crystal ball. So I'm skittish only for that reason. But in this case, I believe it's FSU and I believe it will be FSU when he decides because two reasons, one FSU is in a great spot. And two, I think Alabama's, Still got a couple go through before Jackson will necessarily be the guy they pulled a number on. Here's what I want you to do, Chris. All right. You you hold off on that crystal ball. Wait till the end of September when we are about five sign up short of our VIP goal for the month. Okay. Then you just drop it like you're Josh Newberg. Can't do it like me. He's Chris is about to jump out the window. He doesn't like that that mode no, of business. Chris isn't. Hey, real quick, Dustin, Dustin Pazon is now Dustin Hill. Sure. Right? That's that's the, yeah. the word. Yeah. Okay. Just I, I don't I don't know. Out. I don't know why. We don't, don't know much about Dustin Pazon at this point has become enigmatic to the point of almost frustration. Dustin Hill, I should say. 
he announced that, and I don't know why. Like, does the crystal it, ball it, still count for him right now? We all have crystal balls, and for Destin Payson, does it now count for? Well, I believe his profile was actually changed that. Evening. Okay, so he, it's it counts. What brought it about was he did an interview with a local media personality, TV news over there, and they were just talking about Edna Carr preseason, Payson Hill being a big piece for that team, and mentioned in passing at the end that he had a top five. I know FSU, Florida, forget the other ones. I think Alabama might have been one were mentioned. But his recruitment the, – the kids had like the quietest recruitment in the history of humankind because he just doesn't want to talk to anybody. So it's yeah. sort of is what it is. Like, I even had um, Will Fong, uh, Steve Will Fong, who runs recruiting, director of recruiting for 24-7 sports, had a good relationship with uh, Destin – you know, prior to the shutdown and everything. And he was, he was the main one that was helping us early on with getting information out of him and his camp. I had Wilt Fong reach out to him and maybe some coaches. Uh, Wilt Fong got back to me later in the week and said he did not hear anything back and does not know when a decision is going to come. So we're still, it's still a big mystery. FSU was, uh, was diligent over the bye week in sending out an offer to four-star offensive tackle Zen Michaliski. Mikowski. Mikowski is what we're going to go with. Does that sound right, Nee? Sounds great to me. All right. Zen, we're just going to call him Zen. He's committed to Louisville. He's been committed since April. He's a 2021 prospect. So FSU expanding the offensive tackle board a little bit. What do you make of that, Nee? I think the offer went out as Miami was beating Louisville. I, just, I, don't, I, I find that just kind of a interesting mm, timing. Um, I, I chatted with him a bit. He said he had a good conversation with Atkins. Atkins explained their need at the position and that there would be an opportunity for early playing time here. And he said he's receptive to talking to other teams, but he's also content in his commitment. So we shall see if that develops. You know, anytime you offer a committed kid, especially in an environment where they can't visit, it's kind of tough to have a whole lot of optimism about a flip just interesting we haven't seen a bunch of 2021 offers out recently so that was that was noteworthy and it seemed to be the only 2021 offer that went out over the week as well so interesting noteworthy uh another 2021 prospect I want to talk about real quick christopher tight end river helms yeah perfect example of the fact that I extended the dead period of january impacting a kid he's not been in a rush because he intended to visit fsu georgia tech georgia UCF, a couple of others he was very interested in. And because it's now been extended, he's going to go ahead and make a decision. That decision is coming, I think it's October 10th, if I recall the date correctly. It's soon. He set a hard date, noon at his school that day. Talking to a source close to him, I think it's FSU. And then the next ones are UCF and Georgia Tech that are of concern. What I understand is he's pretty close to actually having made the decision, still talking to his parents, a mentor kind of going about it that way but he likes FSU a ton when he got that offer it was big to him FSU's been aggressively on him throughout and he knows that they want to improve that tight end room drastically so for all those reasons I feel pretty good about where FSU sits right now got one more development I want Chris to go over Josh get ready warm up the arm we're gonna go to you in a minute here FSU got a commitment from a long snapper Chris long snappers are people too Uh, yeah they are and they help you go a long way um a long a long snapper way Oh, God, I hate you sometimes. Did I stall enough for you to find out the kid's name? No, no, no. I remember his name. It's Jake Mann, is it not? Yeah, it's Jake Mann. I knew it. Okay. I just want, I wanted to make sure. 
Sometimes, you know, I take the name of another player and transpose it upon another player. So Jake becomes Terrence Mann. It was um, it was sloppy producing on my part. It was the only name I did not have on yeah, the script. You hurt my feelings. Um, Pittsburgh, North Carolina kid. He's one of the top ranked long snappers in the country, according to Rubio Long Snapping, which is Chris Rubio and his group that do nothing but special teams work. So they know what a long snapper is supposed to look like. He visited FSU for the Georgia Tech game on his own dime with his family. He had wanted to get down here in March or April, but obviously things shut down before he was able to do so. FSU had extended a PWO offer, a preferred walk-on offer, to him on April 1st. He took him up on that offer. He said telling Virginia was pretty difficult. He said that he had really built a great relationship with the Virginia staff in addition to FSU. He said that was tough. He said you can't imagine being a kid with 30 offers and having to tell all those other staffs, you know, because it was tough for him to do that really with one, but he had several schools that were interested. Real talented long snapper. I think it's just a matter of FSU truly putting a focus on special teams. You know, Grant Glennon is not a guy who's going to age out this year. He is the snapper incumbent, and Garrett Murray is also here who's doing snapping, I believe, is actually the starter on the depth chart right now. He's also not expected to age out, but I think this is their long-term move at that position. Their long snapper term move. See, I did it twice now on He's a play on the name. Josh, you were uh, out, out on the road, I guess. Uh, yeah, you were in person covering recruiting, which is which has been a different change of pace for all mm. of us. Chris was as well this week, but now there's Friday Night Lights, so you go out and check out games. And you went down south a little bit, jumped over the bridge to uh, to go see Edgewater, uh, Orlando Edgewater play at Bradenton IMG Academy. Obviously, IMG's a powerhouse. Mm. You talked to several different guys but Tyler Booker is the one that you wanted to highlight because it was a very, very, very interesting and telling interview. Well, yeah, it was a fun game to be at. Uh, it was good to get out on the road and and get to be on a sideline. Just don't tell our, our CBS company that because they'll make me quarantine. For I weeks. started pausing while I was talking about you being on the road and panicked a little bit because I didn't yeah. know if that was information that should be out there. But nah, you were obviously, it, was on, it was on social media. They do yeah. listen to it, but they won't listen to it for like two weeks. You'll be quarantined They won't listen already. to this part of it. But anyway. You were, you were in your personal bubble. You literally <laughs> were bubble boy. You got out of your car in a bubble. You walked on the sideline in a bubble. You did an in-game yeah. interview in a bubble. I mean, I wore a mask. You know, I, I was I was protected. Um but I was there for two reasons. One, because IMG is only about 45 minute drive from my house. And also Edgewater is home to Cedric Baxter Jr., uh, Florida State's first and only 2023 commitment. Let me talk about Cedric Baxter real quick. He's a four-star running back in the early rankings on 24-7. Like I said, he's a 2023 prospect. So he's only a sophomore. He's two games into his sophomore year. Well, one, they lost 48 to seven. Um, Cedric Baxter was still impressive to me just seeing him at six foot one, about 210 pounds. Um, he's a monster back there in the backfield. And he was the IMG defense was suffocating. You know, he had long runs of like eight or nine yards. He, he had a couple, a couple short catches, didn't really do too much, but he did get some carries. He ran tough. Um, didn't make any mistakes. Looked like he belonged, you know, looked like he, if you would have told me he was a 2021 prospect, I would have, I wouldn't have asked you. I want to second guess or anything. So um, and then after the game is when I really learned about Cedric Baxter. They just got beat 48 to seven. Um, he comes off the field. He still has his helmet on. Re- reminder, he's six foot one, 215, 210. Pretty imposing. So I figured, you know, he had a bad game, like I'm, but I'm still going to interview him. I said, how, how, what'd you think about tonight's game? He took his helmet off. 
he had the biggest smile on his face. He said it was good. It was a learning experience. And he had a lot of energy. He's like, he's like, we went up against one of the best D lines in the country. He's like, we got a really young offensive line. I think this is going to be good for us. I was like, wow. You know, like I, in just that answer, I learned a lot about Cedric Baxter. Um, Moving on to IMG, like I said, they, they, they really put the beating on Edgewater 48-7. Malik McLean, he had a couple balls thrown his way. Two would have been touchdowns, but they were underthrown. Um, really not much action. On the other side of him, uh, the, the Ja'Cory Brooks, I think his name is. He's committed to Alabama. Boy, him and the quarterback that's committed to uh, Michigan. They were in rhythm. Um, they were hooking up. He had a touchdown or two, one touchdown and another one down to the one. Um, another prospect that Florida State really likes is Malik Bryant. And I did get to speak to him. Malik Bryant's a 20... Is he 22 or 23? He's 23. He's 20, same class 20, as Baxter. Yeah, 2023 and from Orlando old. as well. Uh, yes. So actually, at the school, I think Jones and Edgewater are touching each other. In the Man, and he's he's coming off the edge. Is like He's right now playing more of a stand-up linebacker role, but he's six foot three, 230 pounds coming off the edge. He had five tackles, three for loss, a, a sack. Uh, he was everywhere. And then I and then I also got a good look at Tyler Booker because he's one of the top offensive tackles in the state of Florida for 2022. Uh, so he is a junior. And <clears throat> I know Florida State's been involved with him. Uh, the old staff offered him and the new staff has only picked up where they left off. So after the game, I spoke to Tyler Booker and he had a real serious moment with me. Um, he told me straight up that he he needs to see more from Florida State. Um, he said, quote, I like what they've got going on there. The majority of their coaches are African-American. They can see eye to eye my, with my struggles as a black man in America. But I feel they need to show a lot more success in the near future to get me. Quote, I'm not afraid to come in and help things turn around, but I just want to see how things go. They got a new head coach, and I'm unsure that it's going to be the best place for me to go. But there's still time. There's a lot of time. And this is this is kind of the chicken or the egg scenario that Florida State lives in. They need better offensive tackles to improve the offensive tackle play, yet the elite of the elite want to see better tack- better play on, from their offense. So, Chris, how do we break this cycle? Legally, as I like <laughs> to say. Um, I mean, you just got to convince a kid to be that kid, or you have to hope you develop somebody you have on the current roster, whether that's a Devontae Love Taylor or a, you know, Robert Scott, either end of the spectrum, the veteran or the freshman, and show that you can do it and get a kid to realize, oh, I might be more talented than so-and-so. If I go there, I can raise the floor even more. And that's mm-hmm. the key. But it's going to be tough. And in this environment, this year, with what they're dealing with, it's going to be even tougher than normal. And it was already a war they were losing in that regard. So, uh, you know, it's I don't think a kid like Tyler Booker's very attainable for FSU right now, which is disappointing because he's been here before, I believe, with Josh Griffiths. I want to say visited with him last year for a game. He does have interests. I think him and Atkins are of similar personalities that would pay off for FSU, but it's just a matter of I don't think there's enough for FSU to do to get a kid of his sort to buy in when his options are as good as they're going to be. And we're seeing that across the board. The the elite of the elites um, at least gave FSU a sniff, you know, a couple months into the cycle. Like you and I were speaking behind the scenes. We knew Xavier Sori back in January and February wouldn't be talked about come August. But 
you know, we kind of had to talk about him. We had a, we had a, because he was still mentioning FSU. So we were putting him in stories and all that, but we knew the writing was on the wall. And here you go with a, with one of the top 2022 kids. Now we're not even making it into the, into the current cycle with some of these elite kids that are eliminating FSU. And I see a lot of response, different responses on the message board. And one of the responses that I, that I knew was coming was going to kind of say, well, this is the kind of kid that we don't need anyway. We got to get prospects that can, that, that want to come in here and make change. And, and, you know, they, they don't want to be front runners. And well, that's not, that's not the case. And I'll go back to something I said, even during the Jimbo Fisher era. So this has nothing to do with Mike Norvell, the state of the program now or anything, but even back then I used to say this, it's not the prospect's job for them to go to FSU. It's the coach's job to find the best players in America and convince them that they need to go to FSU. So this just shows kind of that the task that's ahead, like if they're going to, if they're going to change these minds and the, it, it, it's going to take a lot and they're going to need, it's not just words anymore. They're going to have to do it on the football field this season. Yeah. They need a result and, and people are going to not like this comparison, but they need to finish this year kind of like Tennessee did last year where you get some positive momentum. There's some mental momentum and there's actual some physical momentum mm-hmm. that you can use and display and show. And as you build these multi-year relationships with younger prospects, they're kind of willing to latch on and buy into it. They're not simply looking at it as FSU. Oh, that's a program that once won a national title is now struggling to be 500. They're looking at it as, Oh, I like, you know, coach so-and-so from FSU as well as coach Norvell and say a coordinator and oh look at what they did this year they weren't any good against Georgia Tech but man they were a lot better by the time the Duke game rolled around they were they were progressing and I like some of the young pieces that I got to see play this year and they're playing young guys and you can sell that to future classes and get a bump class the issue is you usually get a slight bump class in year one and then you try to build a very good bump class in year two. And by year three, it's kind of put up or shut up time if you're going to keep the momentum going. While circumstances have kind of eliminated bump class for year one for FSU and also eliminate the ability to build relationships that may be beneficial for year two. So, again, crappy year to be a first year head coach at a school where you don't have a ton of relationships in the immediate recruiting area. And that's a major drawback. And it's something they wanted to overcome and they had a plan to attack and well, they can't because circumstances don't allow. They're doing the best they can with the circumstances, but no in-person ability is going to reduce the ability to have success if it's not solely wins and losses on the field. Nee, you went on the road as well about an hour or so west of Tallahassee to Mariana to see Gadsden play. Joshua Farmer, FSU commit, plays for Gadsden. Real quick before you talk about Farmer and his performance on Friday, Chris, I, I wanted to throw out there when Josh was talking about Malik Bryant, and it, it reminded me of some conversations on the message board with FSU fans asking, is he a defensive end? Is he a stand-up linebacker? Is he an outside linebacker? I think you can have a similar conversation with Josh Farmer. Is he a defensive end or a defensive tackle? Shambray Jackson, again, another similar conversation. Uh, Godzilla, you could talk about that with him too. Like, is he a Fox? Is he a linebacker? So you have all these these defenders at FSU is recruiting and you're trying to figure out like, where do they go? I think that's by design for what Adam Fuller wants to do long-term with this defense. So I'll, I'll throw it to you. What did you see from Josh Farmer in terms of, of his on-field play and, and I guess his p- potential uh, versatility? Well, it was Gadsden County's first game of the season. They won 28, nothing. Mariana couldn't do much of anything. They're very much a one uh, attack style team running the ball and they weren't very good at that. 
uh, watched a lot of Daryl Jackson, Tennessee commitment, and Josh Farmer. They were playing the opposite ends of one another. With Mariana trying to run the ball so much, a lot of it was kind of mush push, cave everything in, finish a play. Good pursuit. I thought with Farmer, he's a kid that I've seen before and saw him now. He's certainly in much better shape. His body is so much better composed than it once was. He looked quicker on his feet. He's still not a burner by any stretch. He's not a guy who's going to run an insane speed off that 10-second or 10-yard clip off the edge. I definitely think long-term he's an interior guy, and I like what his speed is for the interior. I think he's going to bulk up easily to 280 or so. He's about 250-plus right now. Uh, Daryl Williams, truthfully, is a guy who's more of a strong side defensive end type who may also be able to slide inside, but he could play either. I talked to both of them after the game, took some photos of them, talked to a couple other guys on the team and some people associated with the team as well. Uh, with Williams, FSU is still a little bit involved. He's a pretty solid Tennessee commitment. He mentioned Miami, Mississippi State, FSU with some schools still showing him interest. He said that Mississippi State's been pretty aggressive here recently. Uh the game was lopsided. Uh, there's also 2022 running back Kedrick Dobbin, draw DeBron, Kedrick DeBron, sorry about that, who plays for Gadsden County. They split carries back there, but he's kind of a tall, lean runner, runs a little bit upright, but he's pretty quick and do some things. Definitely has some ability. He loves FSU. I think if they greenlight him to commit, he would. He has an offer, but I don't think he could commit to it right now. Okay, let's finish the podcast up by going over some other Friday night light performances among FSU targets, commitments. Uh, let's start with Luke Altmeyer. Josh, you broke up a couple of his highlight videos and took a look at them because I think it took him about a week to post uh, last week's one. So you got two highlight videos to look at. It looked like the quarterback commit just continues to do things that, that make I'm you excited. feel yeah make you feel really good about his future. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you can go check out some of these highlights on Knowles 24-7, but Real quick, just in the last game he played, he had four touchdown passes. Um, he shows – he's not just launching the football. You know what I mean? He, he he wiggles in the pocket. He looks downfield. You can see him looking off defenses a little bit. There's more to it than just him chucking touchdown passes. I'm excited for Luke Altmeyer. I know we heard the knocks on him were his mobility and things like that, but he's in these videos running all over defenses. I don't think he's going to come in and be a runner at Florida State. But any questions about his mobility, I think he's answered in just these first three games. I I really like the way he throws in the or moves in the pocket and throws quick on release. the run. You, yeah, the quick the quick release has always stood out. But you know, when watching him a little bit last year and he's just growing on it, uh, improving on it is when he's on the run is how he how he gets rid of the ball and how he manipulates the pocket and moves outside of it to create better passing lanes. It's it's impressive. And then you mentioned the mobility. He's shown the ability to to at least be somewhat of a threat, whether it's scrambling or even as a design runner. That that exists. It's mm-hmm. in his arsenal. It's not a strength, but it's not maybe the weakness that some have, have thought it is before. Yeah, so I think I he's think silenced the critics as far as mobility. Nobody's ready to – we're not talking about making him a dual threat quarterback. Fourth but, star. Fourth star. Here we go. But he's plenty mobile. Go. Yeah, I've always been a fan. I think he's excellent short and intermediate. He's got enough ability to push it down the field too. Mm-hmm. He does an excellent job of making throws on the move, keeping his eyes down the field, making good reads. He's competitive as hell too, and I want that in my quarterback. Anyone else that we need want to talk about on Friday night? Who else? Uh, who else called uh, out, Chris? Brandon Jennings played his first game of the season, got in the back. Godzilla. Yeah, he played well. I haven't seen film of it yet, but saw the stats. Yes, yeah, saw the stats. Talked to somebody that you know familiar with him and was at that game and 
he played well. Brandon's a damn good football player. He's going to be an asset to FSU. He's going to help FSU a lot off the edge, I think. Whew. All right. I think that's everything. Uh, Joshua Burrell, by the way, plays this upcoming Friday. I think it's his first game. Yeah, and that's true for several guys. I think uh, uh, I believe Washington's first game is scheduled for this weekend. I don't know if he's playing or not. He at one point intended not to play. That's, on, that's Hunter Washington. Defensive yes, Hunter Washington. Jordan Eubanks, I believe, his first game is supposed to be this week. I don't think any of the Louisiana guys, Byron Turner, pays on Sorry, Destin and Hill. I don't think any of them. We went yet. over it for like five minutes, knee. I know. I don't think any of them are up quite yet this weekend. I think their first games are early October games. But, yeah, it's starting to pick up where it's more consistent kind of across the board with commitments and targets actually hitting the field. It was a slow September. Fellas, really good work. This was about an hour podcast. I'm filled fit in a ton of information in a very short period of time, given, given if we had to go over. So let's give ourselves a round of applause. All right. I'll give us a round of applause. I can't wait to go and edit this monster. It's the most editing notes we've ever had on a, uh, on a podcast before. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I think we have at least one fun podcast planned for this upcoming week. So I don't want to jink it, jinx it. We might actually have two. We'll see. We'll see. All right, for Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later this week, maybe twice. We'll see. Ten. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.